So greetings, beloved. Uh, Welcome to Heart City Church. Any of you are just joining us or maybe joining us online, I'm privileged to be with you. I'm Joel. Um, We're actually in the fourth in a series of sermons on Christian worship because what we do when we come here reveals a lot about what we think about ourselves and about God. We've actually been walking through our bulletin. Now, in our first sermon, we actually considered the who question. Who is Heart City's target audience? Who remembers? Who's our target audience? God Almighty. Yes, we went to Hebrews 12, and we saw that when we come to church, actually God has granted us an audience with himself. We come here to serve a holy creator who is a consuming fire. Then we also considered the where question. So where are we? Well, in one sense, we're in a physical building in Elkhart, Indiana. But when we enter into worship, by faith, we're actually brought into a whole new reality, a greater reality, the ultimate reality that God has intended for all of us, the kingdom of God. In week two, we actually went to our call to worship. We looked at this, why we do this every single week. And we looked at Genesis chapter three and God's first words to the first sinners. Where are you? Where are you? Christianity is different from all other religions because it starts off with God seeking us, not the other way around. We are small S seekers. God is the capital S seeker. And God continues to call out today. Come out, come out, wherever you are. In week two, we actually, or last week, we then looked at our call to confess and then our declaration of pardon. And we looked at Psalm 32. Let's just be real practical here. Every church needs a confession. If you get up in the morning and have any interaction with any other human being on the planet, right? I know some of you are stuffing kids in the car. Others are like with your spouse. We hurry up. We got to get going. And others of you maybe drive with the same people that I encounter on the road. And you know what you said. You know what you thought. You know what was going on this morning, right? What a wonderful thing I can come in here instead of just putting out a smile on my face. I can just bring my mess to God and say, oh, God, I'm a mess. Forgive me. And to receive that pardon. But today, we come to what's at the very, very heart of our worship. And it's so exciting. And perhaps one of the most interesting ways of getting folks to understand the excitement were the antics of an evangelist named Charlie King in New York. Charlie King would take off his hat and he would set it down and then he would begin to dance around it. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! And then when enough people came around to see what was underneath the hat, he would then go pick up his hat and underneath it was a Bible. And then he would proceed to begin reading it and preaching the gospel to anyone who would hear. Friends, It's alive, it's alive, and I'm about to let it loose. Brace yourself. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. You'll find it also printed in your bulletins. I'm also going to read chapter 2, verse 13. Let's hear the word of our God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 
We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And verse 13, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Turn back one page in your bulletin. Let's say together the last verse and speak, O Lord. Let's pray God will meet us right where we're at and speak into our hearts. Let's pray. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace will stand on your promises. And by faith will walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this sermon series, we're answering questions about our bulletin's order of worship. I mean, why do we recite a creed? Why a call to worship? Why the Lord's Supper every week? But I suspect not a single one of you came walking in here asking this question, why is there a sermon? What? We're going to hear the Word of God preached here this morning? Really? No, when you come to church, it's a given that you're going to hear a sermon. But why is that? What is it that makes preaching so central to Christian worship? Now, maybe you're exploring Christianity. You took the plunge today and you visit us maybe online. And you're asking, what in the world kind of benefit is it for us to read an ancient, ancient text, right? And then have some preacher stand up here and tell you how this is really relevant for you today. Why do we do this? That's a good question. Now, some of us can't imagine coming to church and not hearing a sermon, sitting under preaching. If you've been a churchgoer, guess what? You're like Aristotle's fish. Aristotle said, a fish has no clue what it means to be wet because it's never been dry. Well, I hope that you're going to be stirred to greater appreciation of the word as you're immersed in it today. This morning, I am going to preach on preaching, what it is and what it can do. And we're going to see faithful preaching is first a message, but it's more. Faithful preaching is God himself speaking, but it's more. Faithful preaching can be 
world flipping, world flipping. A message, God himself speaking, and world flipping. And 1 Thessalonians is an appropriate place, place to start because Paul is writing to a church that came into being because of preaching, because of the preaching of God's word. You actually read that in, this, in, this, in what we just read. For homework later, I would encourage you to look up Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. That's where you find the backstory of Paul going to Thessalonica. Paul and his buddy Silas, they're actually fresh off a beat down in Philippi when they come walking into town. And, you know, that's Paul. Like everywhere he goes, he ends up getting beat up or stoned or whipped. I mean, that's just, just his life, right? But here's the thing. Paul usually gets to set up roots in a place for a while, right? before they get annoyed with him and run him out of town. <laughs> Not in Thessalonica. He was only there three weeks before folks had said, we've had enough of this guy, and he had to split. Paul and his buddy walked in, and all they did was preach, and people got upset, which is really strange because this city was just filled with walking charlatans, wandering philosophers. On every corner, you had a guy who was bringing a message Words, words, words were everywhere on every street corner peddling this new religion. Here's a way of living you've never heard of before. Ah, here's where you'll find life's meeting. And folks in this city, they didn't really blink at much of it. Hey, whatever floats your boat, you know, like, kind of like our culture, you know. Believe whatever you want and just be really sincere about it. It's all good. But Paul's message was not received as simply more words, words, words. He had two responses. He had this large, happy group, not large, actually a small, happy group who said, it's alive, it's alive. And then you had the opposite, a very large, unhappy group that said, we hate this message. We've got to extinguish it. We read in Acts 17, 5, some jealous Jews. If you read in the text, it says some, some jealous Jews threw up some wicked men of the rabble. <laughs> How would you like to be approached by an angry mob called the rabble, <laughs> ready to take you out. Actually, the King James, I like that. It says, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. <laughs> so whatever floats your boat, <laughs> this is not a good group you want to run into. They send in the riffraff, all right, the dregs of society, to wreck anybody who's embracing Paul's message. It was so bad that Paul has to steal away in the middle of the night because he's under threat. So the folks... He had shared the gospel with, had just gotten to know a little bit, he has to quickly abandon. How sad. But friends, gospel seeds sown in tears produce a harvest. Imagine Paul hearing sometime later that these folks he only spent three weeks with, who were under threat for what they had embraced, they're not still only embracing the gospel, they've become a thriving church. Praise be to God. Paul did not have time to train and ordain leadership. He didn't have time to set up programs. He didn't have time to build a brand. I mean, it didn't matter, though. They're all in, all in on the gospel. This is why Paul is so thankful. We see at the beginning, thankful in his prayers and commends them for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I suspect this is why, actually, Paul doesn't do his typical greeting. Mark noted this. You normally see Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no, he doesn't have to pull rank here, right? He's just Paul to these folks who heard the message, who fell in love with Jesus and said, we're all in on this, Paul. The message which, by the way, would have been Paul reading ancient manuscripts, the Old Testament, 
and then preaching. They didn't have the New Testament. In fact, 1 Thessalonians is likely one of the very first letters written that we have in our New Testament. And basically, Paul is saying, here, you find in these ancient manuscripts, everything here is fulfilled in Jesus. Yes, this crucified Jew who's come back to life and is now reigning in heaven and offers you eternal life by simply believing. We read in Acts 17.3, actually, Paul's message in a nutshell was, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. We see here what preaching is, actually. It's the message of Jesus being the Christ, which means Jesus is king. That is the message of the gospel. Paul, what's he? Just a messenger, just a herald, bringing the good news of Jesus' victory. He's saying, everybody, Jesus reigns. And that is the same message, Heart City Church, this pulpit, you'll hear proclaimed again and again and again. Rex actually got to be the herald first. We heard him read from Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You realize what Isaiah is describing here? Imagine living in an ancient Near East town, okay, a little village out in the mountains during a time of war. You'd have no internet, no nightly news, no phone. You don't have any way of hearing what's going on on the war front, how it's going for those young men who you sent off into battle. But there'd be a lot of anxious waiting, right? And it would even continue after the big battle had ended because you'd have no idea about the outcome. You'd have no idea whether you had won and your king had led your army to victory or whether you'd been defeated. And soon, enemy soldiers are going to arrive and you're going to be enslaved. And you're just waiting, waiting. And then at last, last, you hear someone yell and he's pointing up at the mountain, the mountain in front of your village. And you look and you see a runner far off in the distance and he's coming down, he's running down the mountain towards your town. And your eyes will be checking out what? Those running feet, kicking up dust. It was a king's herald coming from the battle. Perhaps ended days, maybe a week ago, this battle. And down the mountain he comes to deliver the news, the message. And you can imagine the whole town coming together, waiting, looking at him. Everyone's waiting on this guy's arrival. And those who have the best eyes wouldn't be me. I have my glasses on, right? They'd be the ones, what does his feet look like? Are those happy feet? Or are they not happy feet? And then, when it's true, and you know it is, those are happy feet. Everyone's convinced. Imagine then hearing the message that matched the happy feet. The battle's over. The victory is won. Our God reigns. We are saved. Now think about this. The battle had actually been won some time ago. But nobody was celebrating yet, right? Because the vac victory only becomes real when those happy feet arrive on the scene with the message, the good news. Maybe you've been struggling with sin this week. Maybe you've been feeling defeated by shame. Maybe you've been upended by some suffering that's come your way. Did anybody notice Rex's happy feet this morning? Wasn't that great? <laughs> Rex had the most beautiful feet in all of Elkhart when he delivered the good news. The news of Jesus' past victory become real at that moment for us when he proclaims the good news. And guess what? Yes, once a week, my feet get to be beautiful too. All right? I never brag about them any other time. 
I get to have beautiful feet because God the Father sent his son into battle to fight all those enemies that you could not, your greatest enemies, sin, death, the devil who would all conquer you. And Jesus Christ on the cross won the victory for each and every one of us. And now he's been raised up into glory and you are free. One day, nothing but happiness for all of eternity forever. Does that sound great? Amen. Amen. And guess the other good news is you also get to receive the spoils one day. The spoils of everything he's won. And that's worth banking your life on. So rejoice and take hold of the king every time you hear the message of the good news of the gospel. So preaching is a gospel message. But faithful preaching is also God himself speaking. Look at Paul's follow-up thanksgiving in chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Christians, now, we know in one sense. We affirm the Bible is the word of God, right? When we read the text, you're hearing God's word. It's God's communication, inviting you into a relationship with himself. Our Bible is God speaking, and the Bible tells us stuff happens when God begins speaking, right? At the beginning, right? Genesis 1.1, God speaks, says, let it be, and there's light, land, life, lots of stuff. And God speaks into the chaos, and he brings order. And he also brings division that causes new creation. Well, it's actually the same with us. Let's look at our February memory verse. You'll find it on the page here on the bottom. Let's say together, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's Hebrews 4.12. Let's work on getting that deep into our hearts. You want to bring order into your chaos? I might encourage you to make it a daily discipline to be in your Bible. Don't let Pastor Joel know your Bible for you. Know your Bible for yourself. Because the Word of God is living. Did you hear that? It's active. And it equips the Christian with how to live, largely <laughs> by creating more problems. What's that, Joel? <laughs> We often come to our Bibles, right, seeking an answer to my problems of this week or my questions about this or the disorder that's going on, right? And we want to know God's will for our situation. What am I supposed to do? And uh, friends, generally the Bible doesn't provide that answer. <laughs> Let's just be real. The Bible generally shows you the character, the kind of person that can discern God's will, the kind of heart that you'll have the attitude of the wise man, the kind of character that you'll find in a person who has been underneath the word and living according to God's will. They know God's will because of that. And we say, but, but I needed the answer yesterday, right? That's not how it works. That's another sermon. But there is patient endurance by discipline, by being in the Bible a lot. But the other thing is, well, then we read the word and we see that we fall so short of being that ideal man. The thoughts 
and intentions of our hearts, right? Hmm, I think that's a primary reason why God provided preaching. Because in preaching, you come face to face with the answer. Notice what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 13 again about preaching. The word which you heard from us, but then he marvels that they accepted it not as the word of a man, of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now we'll get to how it works in a minute, but preaching, you hear what Paul's saying here? Paul is saying that preaching is nothing less than the very word of the Lord being delivered in the now. Not just an ancient text said back then, but preaching is now being delivered to the now, to your horizon. Jesus, when believers, when you guys hear it and receive it for what it is, preaching, as long as it's in line with the word, we'll get to that next week. God himself is speaking to you right now. Almighty God. Jesus himself, the answer to all your problems facing you today, steps into the pulpit and begins to speak to you. You can read, actually, we read this morning, Gloria, Ephesians 2.17, that's another place. Jesus came and preached peace to you who are near and far off. Jesus never was in Ephesus. How is Jesus preaching? Oh, through the preacher. Friends, I'll just say you go astray when you focus on the preacher. You will go astray. Faith does not receive the word of the preacher. Faith receives the word of its Lord, of its Lord. And the question for everyone here is, are you listening, tuning your ear for the voice of Jesus, who loves you, who knows you're weary, who knows you're burdened, and who holds out his heart and says, I understand, I know, and I got an answer in the now for you, if you just trust me and believe and listen. It's actually why I included Romans 10, 13 to 15 in your bulletin. Let me read that. Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, you just heard a small difference in what I read and what was in your bulletin. Many Bibles, actually, you'll notice a little alternative translation marked by a footnote. I put a little asterisk and I added it here in our bulletin. And how are they to believe in him who, or it could be whom, they have never heard? And the problem stems from a translation of the direct object of the Greek verb akuo. You get acoustics from it, to hear. Akuo functions differently with the genitive, and it is rarely ever translated of whom. And I know a Greek lesson is not very helpful to most of you right now, but let me get to the point. Who is the right rendering here? Who is the right rendering? And it makes all the difference in the world how we understand faithful preaching. Listen again closely. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Who is the who that we hear from preaching? Verse 13 says it's the Lord, Lord Jesus. Yes. Paul's point is that nothing less, faithful preaching is nothing less than Jesus himself speaking, the word of God. Nothing less than the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to you right now, where you're at, in your life, in your chair, speaking to your heart. 
Do you believe Jesus is present here right now? Are you tuning in your ears because I need to hear his voice? And I know he loves me and wants to speak to me. So that'll humble every heart, every Sunday, and even more the preacher, because God uses the weak and foolish things to display his glory and to build your faith. Faith, friends, receives the word of its Lord. And Paul knew the Thessalonians were loved and chosen by God because when they heard Paul's preaching, they found themselves meeting with Jesus Christ, their Lord himself. And it came in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why. Because they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. We're going to move on to our final point. Preaching can be world flipping. Now we've seen what preaching is, but now I just want to start to get into its potential. Next week we're going to talk about your responsibility. How you guys are supposed to be hearing and receiving. But Paul, we'll talk about more, just a little bit of his potential now. Paul and Silas, actually, if you go back to Acts 17, 6, these people who are angry about the message and Paul and Silas who brought it, they called them the men who turned the world upside down. The men who turned the world upside down. Their enemies saw preaching threaten the stability of their pagan city. <laughs> pretty powerful message don't you think and apparently it did begin flipping the world because Paul said in verse 5 the preaching came not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction and the reports of these changed believers are sounding forth everywhere Macedonia and Achaia do you realize what happened through preaching why because it came in power first actually the Greek word here is dunamis you hear the word dynamite from that <laughs> it came with dynamite the Holy Spirit, the power of the second, third member of the Blessed Holy Trinity, and with full conviction. Full conviction. Now, I just want to explore what does that look like in our remaining minutes. What does it look like when preaching flips your world and begins to flip the rest of the world? What preaching does when it comes in power of the Holy Spirit is it first gives a person a whole new vision system, a way of seeing the world that they didn't see it before. And so that you're seeing things that other people around you don't see. See, Christianity is not an add-on to your life, which fits into your goals, and I can fit Christianity in my agenda to make it work better. No, it changes everything about how you see the world and what you want to do and actually what matters. So what does that look like when it takes hold? You see three things in these Thessalonians that are entirely countercultural. First, joy in affliction. Verse 6, they received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Next 17, we actually read about a believer named Jason who had his home attacked and he's dragged out for sedition for saying there's another King Jesus. And they force him and other believers to give him a whole bunch of money just to get him off their backs. But they have joy, <laughs> which makes no sense unless you're seeing everything upside down, right? A world where your rights are being ignored, your body's being beaten, your money, your goods are being taken from you. Yay! Let's celebrate! Woohoo! I got to suffer as a Christian, just like Paul preached. He said this would happen. I got to suffer with Jesus. Paul preached what Jesus preached. That if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you should suffer. There's no comfortable Christianity. We'll suffer as disciples, but there's also great reward. Jesus actually said this in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. These Thessalonian Christians suffer gladly for the gospel just like Paul. Why? Because when you suffer with and for Jesus, you better come to know Jesus' love for you. If you don't get anything else, take that home. Christians do not say, Yay, Jesus, rah, rah, go to the cross, die for my sins, and get me glory. That's pathetic. No, you take up your cross, just like Jesus said, and follow him. And then as you begin to experience that pain, you actually understand how much he loves you as you enter into that. Christians don't just cheer Jesus on. They enter into a suffering knowing also that some people will then see Jesus in them. I've had this happen. Some of my best witnesses has not been from my words, but in action when I'm not responding to something. And when you do that, you'll also see a reward. Jesus promises that. I love this quote. Brendan Manning wrote this. Anyone God uses significantly is always deeply wounded. On the last day, Jesus will look us over not for medals, diplomas or honors but for scars second thing second countercultural thing they abandon old way of living they turn from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God now what do you think of when you think of idols you probably think of those statues or images people bow down to or, or maybe the people Simon Cowell doesn't run off the stage and well these Thessalonians they actually were doing the first, bowing to images. It was all over this culture until Paul's preaching exposed their idols. And they said, no more. We're done. We don't care if the rest of the culture is worshiping them. That's not true. Those are dead. And that's one thing that faithful preaching does. It exposes the idols of our day for what they are, and they reveal the true and living God, which when you truly see Jesus, it will transform you. You know, you see, I, we need to know this. Our biggest problem, really, in one sense, is in our sin. If you get your idolatry, then the sins stop happening. We're all prone to it. Idolatry, no less than the Thessalonians. Now, I know you probably, if I went to your house, you don't have little images that you bow down to. But you have a lot of good things that you make into God things. It's the whole reason you sin, often why you suffer, often why you're ashamed. See, idolatry is not necessarily to set your heart on a bad thing. In fact, usually not. It's to raise a good thing to the level of a God thing, so then you're enslaved by it. Whether it could be maybe being a parent, a career, toys, sports, health. That become a thing you cannot live without, and you feel judged and you feel bitter if you can't have this. Tim Keller tells the story of a ninth grade girl in his church who was really, really depressed, actually daughter and elder. And he talked with her. He shared with her the gospel in his office. He said, let's count our blessings, but all to no avail. And finally, she just said, told him this. She said, look, I know Jesus loves me. I know he saved me. I know he's going to take me to heaven. But what good is all that when not a single boy in school will even look at you? Now, that's so sad, it's funny. But it's where we're all at on varying levels. Our hearts get set on things that won't last. I'm sure that ninth grade girl does not even think twice about those boys anymore, right? 
and knowledge about God. My point is, and what he has done is good. We know lots of good things. That's good, information, but it won't get it done. Faithful preaching must aim at the heart to make Jesus and his love real, to make the book alive, alive, to show that it is the word of the living God, that he is speaking and inviting you right now into a greater relationship with himself to know you better, to serve him instead of those false idols that will let you down, and to experience him really truly. I use this before as an illustration. Preaching cannot just be the finger pointing at the moon, the distant moon. I can go out tonight, take a bunch of you out there, and I can point to the moon, and I can tell you a whole slideshow, facts about the moon, its shape, its size, and all that. Just like I can open up the Bible, point to all things about Jesus, tell you lots of facts, his life, his love, his ministry, all good stuff, important stuff you can take lots and lots of notes on, it'll never change your life. I can point to the moon, but that is not the same thing as taking everyone out, outside, to an open field when the moon is full, and sitting in the field and experiencing that luminescence on you, watching it light up the whole world in a new way, encountering the sensation when the moonbeams hit my skin. Experiencing the moonlight is a whole lot better, far different than knowing moon facts. And preaching must seek to make the experience, make real the experience of Jesus Christ loving you and dying for you and still walking with you. It must touch the heart. And lastly, I'm going to be brief here. Uh, preaching, it's about showing that we are secured. We are secured. Because we're waiting for Jesus who raised God from the dead and who delivers us from the wrath to come. Friends, wrath is coming. But we're strapped in. These Thessalonians were strapped in, waiting and trusting Jesus was going to deliver them. And Jesus did that by taking God's wrath upon himself at the cross. He paid for the sins of all who would confess and believe and look to him for forgiveness. And he's coming again. And you know what's going to happen the moment Jesus arrives? This whole universe is going to come to a crashing halt. And preachers have to make that real. That has to be the message of preaching. There's a young man who never wanted to wear his seatbelt. He didn't like it, didn't like being secured. And one day he got in the car. First thing he did was put on his seatbelt. Why'd you do that? He said, oh, my buddy got in an accident last week and went through the windshield. And right now he's got 150 stitches in his face. So I'm wearing my seatbelt. What changed? It wasn't for a lack of information about safety. <laughs> he experienced what can happen if we're not secured when the crash comes. That's what preaching must do. Reveal Jesus as the security. Reveal Jesus as the answer. The Savior who promises a resurrection life with him and with his Father. That will be the greatest glory and joy, all by simply believing and receiving. Of course, as I end this sermon, the preacher, guess what? can't make any of this happen. No matter how good the sermon is, no matter how good in order, the word must always be accompanied by the Spirit's power. So how about we end with prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what manner of love is this? That you would invite us to not just to serve you, but to be given an inheritance with your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and our time is short, our need is great. So we ask and pray that what we just experienced will not just be more words, 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 
but that these words will come into our hearts and lives and by the power of your Holy Spirit, change and transform us, that we may know you more, love Jesus better, and seek to live in a manner worthy just out of gratitude for all you've done for us. We cannot do this without your help, so I ask and pray, we pray together. Give us your spirit, continue to show us Jesus and the burning bushes that you have all around us, and help us to see the joy we have in participating in mattering things until that glorious day when Jesus returns. Thank you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.